welcome back to our channel. Welcome to part three of Talk Spooky To Me Tuesdays. <laughs> we have a paranormal case for you today. Yes. Um, one that the famous Ed and Lorraine Warren were called for, which we're really excited to talk about. This is one of my favorite, like... We are obsessed with the Warrens. We love the Conjuring series, yep. which kind of ties them in. Yep. So if you haven't seen our part one or our first episode of the Warrens cases, definitely check that out because it's just as creepy where we talk about Annabelle yes. as well as another case that they investigated. Family, yep. Yeah. So check it out. And so, yeah. Let's get haunted, guys. Come on. Or seen the Amityville movie but what you may not know is that this is actually based on a true haunting or supposedly true haunting so in the movie we see the Lutz family who encounter some pretty scary stuff but actually the background to their story goes a little bit before them okay so in 1965 the DeFeo family moved from a small apartment to a three-story house in New York the address was 112 Ocean Avenue Amityville, Long Island. And funny enough, Amityville actually means friendly village. Um, you'll see why that's funny. <laughs> Ronald and Louisa DeFeo had five children, Ronald Jr. who was the oldest, Don, Allison, Mark, and John who was the youngest. They were super excited to move into this colonial style house, um, so much so that they even named it calling it High Hopes and they even put a sign in front of the house. So they were super excited. According to the friends of this family, Ronald Sr. was a very bitter, angry man. He also abused his family, which might have been the reason why his son, Ronald Jr., had his own problems. At 17, he was already experimenting with drugs like LSD and heroin. He became more and more violent, and he ended up actually getting expelled from his high school. And his dad gave him a job as a mechanic at the Buick dealership that he worked at. His parents tried to get Ron into therapy and to talk to a psychiatrist, but nothing really helped. And I don't think Ronald Jr. liked doing it. I, while researching, he mentioned he didn't like any, any of the people he talked to. And he would always have some excuse and would leave. And he ended up buying and collecting guns that he actually hid from his parents. So that's scary. Yeah. Ronald Jr. only became worse and on November 13, 1974, at around 3.15 a.m., he snuck around his house carrying a rifle. He went into his parents' room first and shot his mother and father twice in the back. Ronald Jr. then went into his little brother's room and shot them both once. They were only 9 and 12 years old. It's so sad. It's so sad. Ronald then went to his sister's room, who at this point was away from the gunshots, but before she could say anything, he shot her in the face. Lastly, Ronald went to his other sister Dawn's room, which was on a different floor than the rest of the family. He shot her once in the head. This is a sick kid. Sick. Like, I don't even, I can't even imagine. All six members of the DeFeo family who were murdered were all found laying face down on their stomachs. What's so insane is that no one called the police, no one claimed to have heard the eight shots that Ronald Jr. shot. Like, That's none crazy. of the neighbors, yeah. And what to me, what I think is odd is that, like, none of the family members woke up. Yeah. That's what's kind Except of crazy to me. Except for yeah. the one who... But nobody did anything, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Nobody ran, nobody tried to get help. There was no struggle. Right. Yeah. Oh, supposedly, they were all found in their beds. So it's kind of just like, how is this possible yeah. that 
even if like somebody did hear something, nobody said anything, nobody called the police. Just really weird, bizarre. That's really bizarre. After he had killed his entire family, Ron Jr. went back to all the rooms and tucked everyone in. He placed a gun in a pillowcase and took a shower to clean himself off. He then got ready and left for work. Like <laughs> Going about normal. his normal day. On his way, he threw the pillowcase with the gun down a drain in Brooklyn. He got to work much earlier than he normally would with, in order to try to establish an alibi. He also called his home multiple times throughout the day. He really planned this out. Like, you just murdered every single member of your family. He called from work as well as his girlfriend's apartment. He even would mention how odd it was that no one was answering to a friend. After 15 hours of murdering his family, pretending to be concerned, Ronald Jr. told his friends he was going to check his house. He ended up going to a bar where his friends were at and said, come help, someone has killed his family. Wow. His friends went back to the house with him and saw the horrible scene. One of his friends called the police from the house phone. Quickly, officers arrived at the scene. How insane. Like, he really planned this out. Mm -hmm. That's insane. Ronald Jr. played a grieving son and brother very well. He was crying and making a scene outside of his house. He claimed that his family had to have been murdered by a mafia hitman named Louis Finelli, who supposedly had fought with Ronald Sr. at work. And police took Ronald Jr. into custody to take his statement as well as to protect him from this supposed hitman that, you know, wow. they obviously believed him in the beginning. That's so. crazy. Yeah, he must have been a really good actor. Right? However, it didn't take long for the police to figure out this story was a lie. Louis Fellini wasn't even in New York at the time of the murders. Also, the timeline Ronald Jr. gave the police didn't make sense. Realizing this, Ron Jr. started changing his story, claiming he was in the house, but he was forced to watch his family die by Louis Fellini. Okay, so that's a red flag. Like, if yeah. you're changing your story that drastically, 100%. sorry. <laughs> But after a long interrogation, Ron finally gave up and confessed to killing his family. He said, it all started so fast. Once I started, I couldn't stop. It went so fast. Oh my God. He even later admitted that he gave his family excessive doses of barbiturates, which is a sedative and sleep-inducing drug in their food the night before the murders. However, there was never any evidence to prove his claim. His family was all buried in Charles Cemetery in Farming Farmingdale, New York. Ronald's trial began on October 14, 1975. His defense on the night he murdered his family, he didn't recognize his own mother. He said he heard voices in his head telling him to murder his family too. Wow. He was found guilty of second degree murder and was sentenced to six consecutive life sentences. Throughout his life in prison, his story changed many different times about what happened that night, including that his sister Dawn was actually the one who killed everyone, and he only killed her in self-defense. But even today, Ronald is still being held at the Sullivan Corrections Facility in New York. So now we go into the Lutz family. So the Amityville house didn't stay vacant for long. George and Kathy Lutz purchased the home in 1975 for $80,000. They moved in with their three, and this was like a big home. So, right, I think it was three stories. Mm -hmm. so, so that was a good deal back then. Yeah, like that house. Yeah. Um, they moved in with their three children, Daniel, Christopher, and Melissa, and their dog, Harry. Most of the furniture was left by the DeFeos. Um, the bed frames that the family was murdered in were even kept. Uh, so, like, they slept with those same bed frames. Nope. Which is creepy. The family claimed that they had no prior knowledge of what happened to, De to the DeFeo family just a year before. However, it has been reported that the murders were disclosed to the Lutz family by a realtor, so who knows if mm -hmm. they really knew or they didn't know. Right. Um, and we'll get into like all of that mm -hmm. later too. Remember that. Yeah. 
Even though the Lutz family claimed not to be very religious, a close friend requested they have the house blessed before they moved in, so they agreed and had Father Ray, a Catholic priest, bless their new home. While he was making his rounds around the house, Father Ray claimed he heard a voice in Mark and John's old bedroom say, get out. No. First of all, would you have moved into a house where you knew there were murders? No. Okay. 100% no. I don't know. There's so much, like, darkness in, you know. And I couldn't, and let's say it wasn't haunted. Let's just say just the information alone, I still couldn't do it. Like, oh, knowing, oh, this is where somebody was murdered. Mm -hmm. You know, because I feel like I would never, that's yeah. not something I could let go of or forget no. as I'm living in my house, Literally. you know? And it's not just, like, a regular, like, it's, I mean, regular murder, but, like, a home invasion or, like, right. it's a kid who killed his entire family. His entire family. That, so... to me, is just, like, that's evil. So the priest actually didn't end up telling the family what he experienced while he was in the house, but he did tell them not to use the upstairs room as a bedroom and to not let anyone sleep in there. The family would only stay in this house for 28 days, y'all. And you'll see why. It's about to get crazy. Yep. So from the night, from the first night they moved in, the family claims to have felt strange sensations. Their personality actually started to change which in, within days, and they started arguing more often. Um, George was said to get like was more angry like very defensive um he always he felt a constant chill and would spend a lot of his time by the fireplace like feeding the fire because the house was so always cold. cold yeah his grooming habits also changed and his and kathy's health started to decline he would also wake up at 3 15 a.m every morning which if you remember that was around the time that ron um carried out his murders mm -hmm. and also it's supposed to be the devil family also said that they smelled strange odors saw green slime oozing from the walls and keyholes and, and the walls will ooze green slime oh wait they always do that and experienced cold spots in certain areas of the house and they also claim to have seen items levitating in the air at one point a knife flew across the kitchen and their garage door would open and close on its own like, you think that would have been it, you know? You think that would have been enough for you to go. <laughs> if you experience this in your own home, and you continue to put up with it, like... And I understand you just bought a home, so it's like you don't want to leave your home. That's right. a lot of money. And again, you're trying to rationalize things, yeah. explain things away. But like, no. That's not what we can't do that. No, thank you. <laughs> so it gets even spookier. Um, George says he would wake up in the middle of the night and see his wife, see his wife levitating above the bed. Let's just like picture that. <laughs> like just picture that. I think I think I would leave my husband. Yeah. I would be like, hey, I think you're what's wrong. <laughs> I gotta go. Sorry. You're levitating over the bed. It's I'm signing the really papers. weird. Like, I told you to stop this a hundred times. You keep doing it. Like, I wouldn't even stay in the house that night. Nope. I would have been gone, burned the house. I don't want my money. My it's husband true. is levitating. Something's wrong. Like, all right. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> sorry, guys. Going back, we had to. So, when he went to check on the children, Christopher and Daniel, his two sons, were also levitating. Leaving my kids there, too. I 
to my whole family. They're all the problem. Hi to my whole family. Y'all are weird. <laughs> George and Daniel also said they saw a pig-like creature with red eyes staring at them from a window. Kathy said she had dreams in which she saw Louisa DeFeo's murder. The Lutz family tried several times to contact a Catholic priest, but the phones would cut out, so they decided to take matters into their own hands. First of all, That's like, a take, negative. take your car. Right. Like, leave. Right. Right. Your phone's not working. Right. Your phone's cutting out. I just can't. I I shouldn't be laughing, but I... You no, know, it, it's not funny, but like... It's not. But we laugh when things are awkward, so here yeah. we are. But also, like... Again, what... Like, all of these things are happening to you, yeah. And you're just trying to figure out, figure it out on your mm -hmm. own. No, like I guess you never really know until you're in that position. But like, I don't know. I feel, no. like, I feel like I know what will come. Yeah. No. So, like I said, they decided to take matters into their own hands. So one night they walked around with a crucifix, reciting the Lord's Prayer, and they said they heard a chorus of voices yelling, "Will you stop?" Oh, somebody's pissed. Their final night at the house was said to be the worst. There was banging as loud as a marching band throughout the house. Furniture was being moved on its own and the children were being terrorized. They finally left, like we said, after 28 days. They only grabbed a few belongings and went to Kathy's mother's house. So crazy. I can't believe it. And things didn't end there though. While staying with Kathy's mother, George and Kathy said they saw a slime oozing from the stairway and that they both levitated in their beds. So it seemed to have followed them. Mm -mm. Apparently the evil presence had followed them and they eventually ended up relocating to San Diego, California, which is what I would have done the first night. Right, and also that's across from New, yeah, York, yeah, yeah. From New York to California, so as far away I would have left the country. Right. The country. Yeah, the country. For sure. For sure. So this is when the Warrens come in, and I think we described in the beginning of this video, but if you don't know who the Warrens are, Ed and Lorraine are a married couple. Um, Lorraine is a clairvoyant, Yep. and Ed is a demonologist, Yep. right? Yeah. So they investigate these cases of like really bad hauntings, paranormal mm -hmm. activity, people who are being possessed by demons, mm -hmm. all that stuff. Um, they're a very interesting couple, so if you don't know about that. There's a lot of books, a mm -hmm. lot of movies, besides The Conjuring, like actual yeah. documentaries mm -hmm. on them. They have their own museum, mm -hmm. which is in Connecticut, which is their home. Yeah. Um, I they're think both dead now. But. Yeah. I think it's still closed. Yeah. But we we heard or we saw online that like someone, they're trying to relocate or something mm -hmm. like that. So again, we would love to visit. Love. Um, but yeah, so they're a very interesting couple. Who have been known to like yeah they they look out for these type of cases this is what they do so yeah so this was like a big one obviously yeah. so 20 days after the Lutz family fled and Ed and Lorraine were called in by a news reporter who had covered the Amityville story and worked with the war the Amityville story the murders like he had right. covered the murders and he worked with the Warrens on a previous case a team of reporters investigators and parapsychologists were assembled by Ed to meet at the home, um, and they also had a TV crew with them. The Lutz family refused to go back. They literally met, I think they said they met Ed and Lorraine at like a pizza shop or something, and gave them the keys. Like they wow, wouldn't they even go, go back and let them in. They were like, nope, not going back there. Smart though, I wouldn't have either. So during their investigation of the house, Ed was pushed to the floor, Lorraine was overwhelmed by a demonic presence and kept having visions of the DeFeo family's bodies lying on the floor covered in white sheets. 
Ed said the house reeked of death. He also headed down to the basement first where he believed ir evil spirits resided. And supposedly he did that in like every house because it's like closer to hell or something. Oh, wow. Yeah, like he would go to the basement. I didn't even think about it like that. that's where like the evil spirits are. Interesting. He's a demonologist. He knows. Okay. <laughs> he described he felt a pressure on his head and shoulders, which forced him to the floor. He said he also felt an intense sensation on his skin, which he described as hundreds of pinpoints of electricity and he couldn't breathe. How scary. Yeah, seriously. He mentioned that the presence left as soon as he commanded it to leave in the name of the blood of Christ. Like, Goodness. how freaking creepy. Oh. And Lorraine has quoted as saying, um, as I was going up the stairs, I reached the point where I felt as if a force of water was coming against my chest, almost like a waterfall. It was the worst feeling. I stopped on the landing and held tight to the relic that was in my hand and asked for strength and direction in going forward. It felt ominous to me. Lorraine then entered the room where the priest heard the voice telling it to get, telling him to get out. When she entered, she said, I hope this is as close to hell as I will ever get. This is one of the biggest Warren cases with the most evidence of paranormal activity. The research team captured an image of a little boy spirit peering from the second floor, which will enter a picture here, but if you're listening to it, it's clearly a little boy near the staircase with glowing bright eyes. The eyes are like, yeah, they stick out the most. The picture creeps me out. Yeah. And, and who knows if it's real, yeah. but it's super creepy. It's easy to manipulate pictures, obviously, so, like, nobody knows if this picture is, like, 100% real. And it's, real. it's, like, widely talked about, mm -hmm. and, like, um, a lot of, there's a lot of people on both sides who, yeah. kind of. And, like, it's one of those, because you see a lot of pictures of ghosts, right, and they're kind of faded, kind of, like, you know, whatever. This, this one's, one's clear. so clear, yeah. yeah. That's what's crazy. That's what's, like, creepy about it, um, and I don't know, I don't know if I believe it's real or not, but, like, it's definitely eerie and creepy. And, like, yeah, it's if scary. nothing else, it's creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Let us know what you think. Like, if yes. you, think if you see the picture, picture, let us know. It's real. Um, so Lorraine sat on one of the beds and attempted to contact the dead. Uh, those in the room actually experienced panic and heart palpitations when she did mm -hmm. this. And most of those men have actually died from heart problems. So not like right after, but like they died. They all just Who knows if it was like, die. yeah. If that contributed. Yeah. That's really scary. It's, it's just a weird fact that I want to like so they actually found out that the land was used by John Ketchum, who practiced black magic. His body was buried on the property and remains there to this day. Uh, that might be a problem. No. The land was also home to Native Americans and used to house the sick and the mad. Those in this enclosure were left to die. The Warrens believe these energies directly impacted the lives of the DeFeos and the Lutzes. Yeah, that'll, that'll yep. do it. That'll do it. That'll do it. <laughs> Um, and then Lorraine has said this is the most evil case she's ever worked on. And if you look at their history, they've worked on a lot. Mm -hmm. So that's insane. She said the house itself, the case, not the house, I should say. This is like a direct quote from her, so I'm just reading it. <laughs> the case itself has affected our personal lives more than any other case we've ever worked on in 54 years of research. 54. And that's a lot of places. My husband is a religious demonologist. My husband is not well. We've been involved in very bad hauntings and very bad diabolical cases. We've been involved with levitations and blood coming from someone's eyes. All sorts of bad things, but that case followed us right into our home. I have goosebumps. Like, and we could insert some clips of like her interview, 54 but. 54 years. And then this is the worst case. That to me is insane and a little bit scary. <laughs> 
if you gave me one billion dollars, I wouldn't go in the house again because it messed up my life and my husband's life. Terrible, horrible, horrible place. Oh, it's terrible. That it. That's where I levitated with my body in that home, and it was the things that happened there were terrible. Really, really terrible. So like we said, the Lutz took very little belongings and relocated to California. The home was put up for sale again, but there was no reports of paranormal activity from any of the residents after the Lutz, which is very interesting because you would think that if a house is that haunted, like it, it's not going to discriminate. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So interesting. Okay, so the Lutz story in the Amityville Horror House has been widely discussed and many people think they completely made it up. Um, they never experienced any of this or that they exaggerated their experiences. And we're gonna get into some yeah. of the reasons why now. One popular theory is that George Lutz was actually the only one in the house to experience the paranormal activity if there was anything. If you remember when we talked about Ronald Jr.'s story, he was the one who murdered his whole family. He mentioned that he heard voices to, telling him to kill his family. Um, so was it possible that the same thing was happening to just George? Like we, yeah. like how they had mentioned that their personalities were changing. Mm -hmm. He was very distant, very angry. So is it possible that he was kind of experiencing the same thing that Ronald Jr. went? Yeah. And a question we should ask ourselves here is, is it actually paranormal or is it more psychological? Because obviously, Ronald Jr. had his own issues. Yeah. You also don't want to just be like, oh, it was ghosts. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. You don't just want to write it off that quick. Issues of right. his own. Um, Ronald did. I don't right. know about George, but um, yeah, obviously there was a lot of stuff going on. And yeah. Who knows? Who knows if it was like if he was possessed or like mm -hmm. it was actually him, you know, there was something wrong with him. So yeah, that's something that you want to take into account too. Because um, Ronald's family. From what we know, never really experienced. I mean, obviously they died, but right. like they never. There was no reports of anything right. happening in the house. Um, so yeah, who knows? Maybe it was just George. Maybe it was just Ronald. Um, one example in particular that the priest we mentioned earlier, when he was interviewed, claimed he had never stepped foot inside the house and that he only spoke to the family over the phone. So that's a huge, yeah, huge. So they, they debunk that completely. Yeah. That like the priest said that he heard the voices or to get out. That was debunked. Like right. that was not true. Another example is that Ronald Jr.'s lawyer on his trial, William Weber, was also an associate of George and Kathy Lutz. William told the press in 1979 that Kathy Lutz had made up her nightmares to sensationalize the story. Wow. That's huge. Yeah. That's a really, that's crazy. In that same year, William also wrote in an article to People Magazine telling how the entire story of the haunting was made up by himself George and Kathy Lutz while drinking lots of wine. That's wow. his quote. Also interesting to know is the Lutz family cut out Williams from any profitable ventures, which may have prompted his confessions to helping fabricate the story. So That's interesting. he realized, okay, I'm not getting any money from this, then I'm gonna out them. That's it, so wow. it's pretty damning. Yeah, it is. Dr. Stephen Kaplan, who is also a paranormal investigator, helped publish a book called The Amityville Horror Conspiracy in which he claims to expose the Lutz false story. 
So there's a lot of people coming out, yeah, like against what they claim happened. Yep. In a later interview, Ronald Jr. was asked about the Ham- the Amityville house. His response was, "The only thing that's real were the murders. Yes, it's all a hoax. It's all about money. A cold-blooded murder. Period. No ghost. No demons." This isn't funny no more. People look me in the eyes like I'm possessed or something. I'm sick of wow. it. Wow. That's crazy. Here's your answer. So I guess he didn't really experience anything. Right. But to this day, both George and Kathy Lutz claim that what happened to them was real. Even after the divorce in 1988, nothing changed. They both have already passed Kathy in 2004 and George in 2006. If you've seen our other Warren Cases video or know anything about the Warrens, you know that this couple themselves have been widely discredited with many of their other cases. It's crazy because like, I don't know, on one hand, like, I do kind of, like a lot of people think the Warrens are phony. I don't really think they're phony personally. No, But I when it comes so to this case and with them saying it's like, it was the most haunting the most for haunting them. them. Yeah. And like all of this evidence that kind of proved that George and Kathy Lutz so that's what really I'm just like... It makes you wonder. Yeah. Because obviously, like, with the movies, The Conjurings, mm-hmm. their books, their documentaries, their museums, they're making a lot of money. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I'm sure they charge people when they go out for these cases. So it's not like they're doing this all out of the goodness of their heart. Of course, like, I think in their mind they're doing something good. And yeah. maybe they are. But at the same time, it just makes you wonder, like... And I don't know, even some of it could be real mm-hmm. and it's just exaggerated to make money. And maybe Lorraine did feel something, mm-hmm. but it has nothing to do with the Lutz with family. With what the Lutz family yeah. is supposed to I think that's a possibility. Yeah. Um, that could be it. But it, Because not everyone feels those presence, you know? Right, right. So, just thought it was interesting to know. Yeah. Okay, so obviously with cases like this, there's books and there's movies made. Um, one book that I actually really want to read, I don't know if you've read it, The Amityville Horror, A True Story by Jay Hansen. Um, I would really like to read that book. Um, And then movies, The Amityville Horror and the remake with Ryan Reynolds, which is the one that I watched. I really like that movie. Also, in the Conjuring movies, Lorraine's character mentions the Amityville house at one point. Um, If you haven't seen the Conjuring movies, you watch it. And I'm surprised they haven't done one on. I feel like it's coming. Because the third one's coming out, I think, Mm -hmm. either this year or next year. So I feel like they're going to do another one. They're, they're definitely going to do another one. I would love to see one. So, thoughts? Is it real? I don't Is know. Is it fake? I, personally, it's just there's too much evidence against it. Mm-hmm. I don't really believe their story. I think mm-hmm. they probably did it for the class. Good word. <laughs> um, yeah, I think they did it, probably did it for the money, what it yeah. looks like. Um, I agree. I think it's it was made up, fabricated. But at the same time, I think it's weird that after they bought this house, they they literally left after 28 days. Yeah, that that That's happened. Thing. Yeah, That's that how it gets to me too. I'm just like, why would you leave a house you bought? Yeah. That's what I. Don't it's a get. little weird because like once you, I mean, this the house was sold after, but like, why would you put that on the house? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, why would you put that reputation on the house when you right. know that's gonna be really hard to sell, probably. Right. Like, yeah. So like, it's not like they were. I don't know, it's just really weird. I don't know what their motives were for money or like, I don't know if they made a lot of money from like doing this. Um, I know they made money with the movie. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much, but they moved to California and that's expensive yeah. to live there. So that's true. I guess they're doing something right. But to me, that was just the most interesting yeah. was the fact that they actually left regardless if it's real or fake. Yeah, that's like a big thing to do. I would love to know 
what the true motive behind that was. Yeah, so. I agree. I would love to know too. They ended up having to change the address on the house mm -hmm. because everybody would go there and like 08, I think, instead of mm -hmm. 1208. Yeah, yeah, because people would visit and like they thought it was a haunted house, and the people mm -hmm. who lived there never, I would totally know, um, never experienced anything. So if you wanted to purchase a home, if you wanted to purchase this home, the Amityville home is actually on Zillow. You can find Interested? It. 108 Ocean Avenue, um, five bedroom, four bathroom for 725,000. From 80,000 when the DeFeo, nope, when the Let's Families bought it, oh, great. to 725. So this is the description. <laughs> Legendary Amityville home, pristine, charming, three-story, waterfront Dutch, colonial commanding, beautiful views of all right, guys, that is it for our Talks Movie Tuna Tuesdays, our third one. Um, make sure to tune in every Tuesday. Subscribe if you haven't already. We will be posting our second activities of yes. spooky things to do this week, y'all. We already have one up, so you do not want to miss it. So much fun, so much going on. Yes, we have a lot of videos going up, so. We also have those videos going up on TikTok as well, yep. so check them out. Follow us on Instagram for all of our updates. That's where we post most of what's going on. Yep, yep. That's right. about it. That's about it. Bye.